0: Mean Old Lion Media presents the history of being black. What well up, Welcome to the History of Being Black podcast. I'm Jay Hall, and I am here with the small biz guru, Tiffany Ford. How are you?
1: Hey, I'm really well. Thank you for having me, Jay. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm,
0: I'm good. I'm good. When I see small good. business guru, I, I have to ask you, and I'm pulling something from an interview I saw of yours. Tiffany, how do I turn my passion into a paycheck? You go with
1: what you know. You go with what you love and you stick to it and you figure out what it is that you love to do, what brings you joy, and we figure out how to create a plan to uh, to bring in revenue with it.
0: So there are a lot of people when you hear that, and I always Mm -hmm. try to distinguish the difference between some of the get-rich-quick schemes that you see on social media nowadays, right? Yes. And every time you look up, there's some regular individual, highly dressed, saying a bunch of words that no one wants to take time to google and exactly you know people get spellbound by it but no seriously when you think about your passion um i was one of those people that was fortunate i i know what i wanted to do since i was single digits but there we go right like i I knew i wanted to be a writer at eight since Mm. my since my fourth grade teacher introduced me to what the term meant but to those who are in their adult years when they hear turn your passion into a paycheck," dealing with their everyday life. The first thing they probably think is 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 houseway. Like what what is the first step, you know, to that?
1: Yeah. I would say again, just being able to readily identify what it is that you are looking to do, uh what it is that you have a love for so that you can figure out how we can create revenue. A lot of people don't really take the time to figure out their passion. They always are thinking about how to make a quick dollar. Like you said, you see these big grand scheme, get rich quick type things. There are, let me just be the first person to tell you that there is no way to get rich quick. You can't get rich quick, unfortunately. but (laughs) there is ways to make money fast for sure but to create longevity there is no quick way to do it um so the first thing that i could suggest is a identifying what your passion is b seeking out a strong mentor or coach um in the area of small business or in the area uh, that whatever your area of expertise is and making sure that you understand all of the hurdles that they had to cross and all of the barriers that were in their in their way um, in order to achieve the goal that they wanted to achieve so that you can use those same tools to achieve the same goals that you would like to achieve
0: that's dope. Let's 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 get into your background a little bit, Tiffany, so they can yeah. just know that this is not something you just woke up one day and did. Now you're from Southwest oh, Philly, right?
1: I am. I'm from Southwest Philadelphia, born and raised. That's my, my neighborhood. Um I am a true Philadelphian. I grew up um right in Southwest Philly in the hood where my parents um I was raised by two very well-educated parents. Um who had pretty nice jobs, substantial jobs. But what they did not have was the passion that I had for entrepreneurship. So that part I had to learn on my own. Um, I came from a family of three girls uh, where education was the forefront in our in our area, in our neighborhood, in my family, in my household. However, um, we were kind of guided to do the typical nine to five job. You know, we were raised to go ahead, go to school, get your education, make sure that um, you Do follow every step so that you can achieve this great life of sustainability. But I chose to follow in my own direction, which was my own passion, which was education as well. But I decided to open up childcare facilities in the city of Philadelphia, which granted me the opportunity to later open up performing arts academies. Um, Then later go into business consulting. I also do some real estate investment. So I have my hands in a lot of things and a lot of pots. But all of it is because of my passion. Um, My passion. My number one passion and my why was being able to help shield children and adults, not just children achieve their fullest potential. And that's what I'm doing every single day.
0: Now your first introduction, you had like a front seat, right? Your, your mother as an educator was an educator, right? Yes, yeah, she is.
1: She, yeah, she is. My mother was actually a school administrator. Um, and then she actually, she was a school teacher and later became a school administrator um, into a principal in Philadelphia. So, yes, I did have a, a front seat. I got to watch what it meant to change the lives of youth. Um, and that in itself was enough for me to say that this is something that I want to do.
0: What was some of the challenges you even seeing as a child in that front seat?
1: back then oh definitely I mean just working in education it's not a field where you go to work and you go home it's just not you know a lot of the times you take your work home with you a lot of the times you are always thinking about how to connect those dots with your students and it does take more than that nine to five so that was definitely um something that I saw with my own mother and that in itself gave me some really strong um skills as far as work ethic is concerned it gave me the understanding that when you're trying to make a difference and when you have a passion it just doesn't stop at five o'clock when the clock clocks out it goes it keeps going it's a lifestyle
0: i'm on record and i said this multiple times i was fortunate to also have a second passion in the media gang which was Mm -hmm. I i worked as a youth concert for 10 years throughout okay. the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. So I worked in group homes, also was a counselor in a high school, being a liaison between teachers and administrators and things of that nature. So when you speak about it is not, a, it's not something you can just clock out when you go home. That is true. Yeah, it's I, that. I, I have students who are adults who still call me and I haven't worked in about four years and they still, call, <laughs> they still call me, asking me questions about this, asking me questions about that. It is such a, life draining um, thing because especially when you're on the front lines i mean teachers have been getting underpaid since forever you know absolutely yeah so what was your first because you have about 15 years and experience yourself what was your first job were you a teacher
1: no i actually was a social worker first believe it or not so i went to (laughs) Washington I went to Westchester University. I graduated in that mid-year point where um, December of 2006, I majored in education. My plan was to become a teacher. But unfortunately, when I graduated uh, from Westchester, it was the middle of the year um, and it was a December. So most teaching jobs start in September, right? So I had to come out and I had to find a job. So the first thing that I was able to secure was social work. had no idea what I was getting into. But what I can say is that my same alignment with the importance of education and the importance of, you know, guiding our youth, it was still in the same field. So um, I got my feet wet with social work for a few years. um, And then I came out of social work just because I wanted to go back with following my passion. I wound up actually getting um, pregnant with my daughter and I'm like, okay, well, what am I gonna do? So the first option for me was childcare. You know, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm really passionate about childcare. I'm really passionate about making a difference in the lives of people, not only children, but families as well. Childcare might be the move for me. So I started out right in my home. I actually started out taking care of six children um, at night and doing social work during the day. (laughs) So I went, I, I actually chose the other route. Most people start out with daycare. I actually started out with evening care. That was that in itself was a whole a whole ordeal. Like it was a lot. It was it was a whole lot. But I enjoyed what I was doing. And with that being said, it never really was a job. Um, it was more so okay. Let's see how we can make this work. So I wound up getting my first commercial center um, in 2011. Then it just grew, and I got my second and my third. And from there, you know, what, the thing that's drawing people in is just my genuine spirit. Um, to keep our children safe, to keep make sure all of their needs are provided, to make sure educationally they're fit and the relationships that I'm developing with families every single day um, is super, super important to what I do as well. Because not only am I helping the children, but I'm able to provide the parents with the resources that they need for their sustainability as
0: well. So Tiffany, I, respectfully, because I know I want people to know being a social worker, you, you almost kind of brushed over it and I respect that but being a social worker is mm-hmm. already extremely draining. When I used to work with social workers, I mean, they used to always need a bottle of water and and, and, yeah. and and where to sit down, okay? So the fact that you were doing that and you found time to not only watch your own child, but other people's children, I, I have to ask, because that's a lot of energy that you're pulling from. It's- It is. What, what, what was that defining moment to say, I'm going to do this? Like, I get that you did it, but what, yeah. what was the process of that decision?
1: so i think that um first of all it was always a goal of mine to eventually step out of the the traditional nine to five but i needed to make sure that i did it when time was right um i know that some people the number one question i always get is you know should i quit my job now you know i think that there are a lot of things that you have to consider for me my consideration was finances Am I able to sustain, um, my regular income and my needs for my family? Am I re- able to continue to grow my businesses? Am I able to put everything into this and let this go, let my income go so that I can focus on that? Um, and once I reached the point where my money, um, was in alignment with what I need, what I needed to be comfortable, that is when I decided to quit. I did not quit before that. Um, I did notice, though, when I decided to quit and I decided to put my all, eggs all into one basket, that is when my businesses grew. So I want to say that there was about a five-year time frame that I worked and kept, kept children, you know, on the side. After those five years, I said, okay, this is enough. I reached the point where I'm able to sustain. Um, The goal was for me to be able to have income on the side. So my nine to five was my income. And then I was able to use my other money to save for my business and grow my business. So when I got to the point where I was able to make my income from my business, I exited. (laughs) Now
0: that's dope. Now I'm going to read this quote. That's from you. And I want mm-hmm. you to break down to me is what what's the definition? So it says, "quote The biggest issue is with early learning and how many people think it's an option and not a necessity." Unquote. Mm.
1: That is, um, I, you know, it's funny because I, I live by that. I think that a lot of the times uh, people call and they say, I want my kid to go to daycare. You know what I mean? I'm going to daycare. And they don't realize that when you put your child in daycare or early learning facilities, there are so many skills that they are getting that keeps them sustainable throughout the years. Number one, social emotional development is key. And our children, um, it's very important that while they're in childcare, they're getting the social and emotional skills that they need to be adequate adults to work in a functional society. Even throughout their childhood, throughout their childhood, um, one thing that I've learned over the course of my career is that a lot of the times parents will. Um, drop their children off. Like I said earlier, they'll drop their children off and then they'll come back in and they're like, oh my goodness, they've learned so much. They've mastered so many skills, not knowing that early learning is the key to get those skills early so that when they get into school, they've already mastered them. Um, Another thing with early learning is the goal of parental involvement, it's really important that parents understand their role in their children's education from an early age and understand that, you know, they are an advocate for their children um, from an early age. So what I try to do in my facilities are we partner with these parents and we help them understand their role, literally, by providing parenting classes, by providing resources um, so that all of those skills that they learned when they were with us remain intact when they go into their school age setting.
0: So I'm, I'm, I think we're hitting a nice sweet spot. And this is where the past counselor of me is connecting to you. <laughs> because, because, no, I used to try to, as pleasantly as possible, try to inform parents of this. Because, you know, a lot of parents, they come in with an idea of what they want their child to be. For and, sure. And, and, for example, if you have a child that is an art child, let's just make it plain, you know, an art child, but you're very academic driven, how yeah. is it, How is it were you able to communicate that plan with them? Because certain parents can be very about, hey, listen, this is the plan I got for my child. But your child is showing signs that they're more into the arts.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: What's that conversation like?
1: A lot of the times, it's just literally modeling for the child. Having them, having—I mean, sorry—the parent having the parent come in and see. Wow, look, look what your child is able to do. I know with me, we have a performing arts academy. So, a lot of the times, when they see shows, um, when they come in to come and see days, they're like, "Wow, my kid really does have a gift." They need to see it. They're just like anybody else. A lot of the times, they don't see the benefit of these activities or any type of even early childhood care activities until they actually are hands-on and they see it. So. So what I say is always create an experience for the parents so that they can be able to see what it is that you're doing with the child and how it's benefiting them across the board.
0: No, that's dope. And, you know, I don't want to sleep on this because this is a big deal. Now, Tiffany, you are the owner of three schools, Mm -hmm. okay? One, the Little Leaders Learning Arts Academy. Two, Stages of Community School, Mm -hmm. six six locations. And Mm -hmm. the third, Leaders and Legends Performing Arts Academy.
1: Oh, so it's Little Leaders Learning Academy, which is our early learning and preschool academy. Then we have Sages Community School, which is um, another early learning academy located in North Philadelphia. And then we have Leaders and Legends Performing Arts Academy, which is a totally separate program from the daycare, but it works with school-age children um, ages 5 through 17. And, and it's an extracurricular program, but it focuses on dance, drama, and theater. Um, dance, theater, and vocal, I'm sorry.
0: Yep. So- you know, oftentimes with education, they, they rely on the moral factor, you know, yes. it's, about, it's about the youth and this, things of that nature. What makes it where you started to add the business in, like for you, you know, where you get past, where they try to shame you for thinking about the money and get, what What made Tiffany say, listen, yeah, this is about education, but this is also about this business. How did when- you decide to make that merge?
1: That's a very good question. Um, there were points in my business where I realized that policies were important, that procedures were important. And I think that the, the turning point for me was always has to do with staffing um, and just understanding, having staff understand what your vision is. And the only way to get staff to understand that is to have clear policies, procedures, and expectations in place. Um, with that being said, I did notice a difference once I start putting in our, implementing the procedures that we had outlined in our family handbooks. Because one thing about daycare, everybody has to have a family handbook, right? But it's up to you to actually enforce the policies. So when I actually started enforcing the policies, I was like, oh, wow, this is how this works. And then I start slowly gradually you know, getting more into making sure that everybody understood every single policy so that we're all on the same page. And what it does is it makes for a better system across the board. And that's for anybody that's growing a business, not just childcare. You have to have clear policies, clear procedures, and clear answers to how things will be handled when certain issues arise.
0: So what's the uniqueness you would say with each school that you own?
1: Mm-hmm. Um. I would say for for me, demographics is one thing, you know, one school is handling, it's dealing with one set of demographics, another school might be dealing with, you know, another set of demographics, for example, Southwest Philadelphia, we're dealing with primary, primarily African American population, whereas when I go to my North Philly locations, I have my Latino Uh, demographic that we're working with. And then we have our performing arts program, which is more so a program, not necessarily demographically based, but it's needs based. And it's based upon us creating an, a genuine um, understanding of the value of community and village and it does not fit into everybody's scope everybody is not able to participate unfortunately because we require a lot from our students and it's really important that parents understand what our vision is and if their vision is aligned with our vision then we can work hand in hand
0: When did you make the decision to take the business education that you had to spread it to other people
1: um, it was actually within the last couple years when I realized that people just were coming for information. They saw what I'm doing. Um, they enjoyed w- the work that I do, the product that I give, the consistency that I'm able to keep keep over the course of the last 15 years. And they wanted that skill set themselves. Now, it wasn't until I decided that, okay, I'm giving out this information for free. I'm doing this every day. Somebody's calling me and I actually have no problem giving information. That's not my thing. What I realized across the board was that people didn't understand how much actually went into what I do. You know what I mean? Um, It's not something that you can just wake up and say, okay, I'm going to run a business today. No, that's not how this works. You know, there really is um, steps to this. And I wanted to make sure that the people that were coming to me for information got the real deal. They got the role. They understood exactly how to open their business, how to market their business, how to create those systems and policies. Um, All of that was key um, in me deciding to do consultations. I wanted them to have hands-on training from somebody that has been hands-on in small business development not somebody that says they've been doing it but somebody that actually has been doing it
0: yeah the problem with being so professionally good is that you make it look easy where everyone feels like they can try
1: yeah that that part
0: it's not easy at all <laughs> you know it's we, not easy at all I, I think that's been the biggest challenge in a lot of fields yeah you know, in, in in particular but for you what's a small story that you can share That always brings you back that one that reminds you why you got into this in the beginning.
1: For sure. I'm going to go ahead and just say it's anything that has to do with my art, my create my performing arts students. Um, They I have had most of those children from the age of three where they started actually at the daycare. You know what I mean? They started in our preschool program. They eventually aged out because you know, once they hit a certain age, they're no longer there anymore. But then we have this other program, the performing arts program that they can go to. So just being able to be involved in these children's lives from the age of three, some of them up until 18, I've had 18 year olds so far, you know, graduate and they've gone away. And just to see um, the growth that they've made personally, artistically, academically has been amazing. It really has. It's been one of those things where, you, you kind of got to be in be there to see it it's so surreal um just to watch the community that we have built uh, with these children with their families to know that we are their safe place is enough for me to keep coming back every single day
0: Now this might be me projecting and if it is let me know <laughs> I feel like there's three challenges when you work with in education with you there's yes. there's the students themselves yes there's the parents. And then there's the administration. Indeed. Which one for you has been the most challenging?
1: I'm going to keep it all the way 100 for you, to be honest. I'm, I'm one of those people who can see everybody's point of view. Um, okay. I am able to empathize with the parent who feels like their child is not getting the most. I am able to For the children, I'm able to relate to their needs. Um, I'm able to understand what their needs are. They feel safe speaking to me. So it's really not a challenge for me per se um, to work with them. And as far as the administrative administrative side is concerned, I totally understand what is needed to grow a community. The honest to God truth, the hardest part is not being able to have the resources to do everything that we want to do with the children that we have. So it's honestly the money is the hardest part. Sometimes we have to figure out where this funding is coming from. In my child care facilities, you know, most of them are state subsidized. However, you know, there we did hit a wall where okay, we've reached our max, but these children need more. So with that, we had to go and we had to find outside contracts. I myself found some city contracts that would allow me to supplement the income that we needed to provide the resources that we needed to our children. And I think i think that money was definitely my hardest strong point understanding how to get to the money how to get to the bag so that we can you know grow these businesses in the way that they need to be grown
0: first of all you you preaching gospel right now to everybody who's ever worked at any of this i can hear the fingers snapping i can hear everyone getting up off their seat but i know the times where and resources is lord that's a whole other podcast it really is but in the times where i know in my experience where i hit that wall That was when, for me, the relationship value equity kicked in. Exactly. You know, can you describe the importance of that relationship? Because you mentioned community, you mentioned parents, Mm -hmm. you see the point of view. Can you break down from your experience the the value of relationships?
1: Yeah, for sure. I think it's really important um, in any of the relationships, whether it's with the children, with the family, with the administration, honesty is key. Um, Honesty is key, making sure that you're able to communicate your needs clearly and effectively, but not be overbearing. So it's really important that um... When someone comes to you, I'll, I'll speak specifically about parents, per se. When a parent comes and they may have a concern um, about the service or the product that you're providing, in my case, it's child care, I think that it's really important that, number one, you empathize with them. You show them that you understand. You show them that you care about their concern. Number two, you come up with a plan to fix the problem, whether it be um, whether it be some, something as simple as, you know, hey, I'll talk to the teacher or B, I'll talk to the sad person, whatever it is. But whatever it is, you have to make sure that you follow up with them. That is key. Following up is key. They wanna make sure that they can trust that you're going to do what you said you're going to do. And that's in any relationship, whether it's with the children, the administration, or the staff. So relationship building is key in small business. You have to be able to value the relationships that you have. And it doesn't mean that you're going to let people walk over you. It doesn't mean that. It means that honesty is key. Hey, Miss So-and-so, this is the policy. I'm not able to do that, but I'm able to do that. And have a little bit of flexibility. You know what I mean? It's okay.
0: You mentioned your daughter mm-hmm. as you were doing the work. Has your daughter ever became a student in one of your schools?
1: Absolutely. She is a student at Leaders and Legends. She actually went to our preschool as well. She, of course, she's a little older now. She's almost 15. But she's currently and has been with the same group of girls. Um, she's a dancer. So she dances with our Performing Arts Academy. And even in my own daughter, um, the growth and maturity that I see in her because of this program is amazing. She's super responsible, um, super motivated. And we use, in my family, we use her dance as you know an incentive for her to keep to keep progressing in all aspects of her life. So, yes.
0: Was that important for you to have your daughter in your school? Cause I know I worked at schools in the past and people <laughs> used to not have their kids in the school that they worked at. And that's why you laughing, because you know what I mean? I am. I'm so laughing. I, I want to know, was that important for you to, to be, hey, listen, the proof is in my pudding. My daughter is here also, too. Or was that something that was just a natural thing?
1: Yeah, uh, realistically speaking, yes, it was important for me. However, and when she went to preschool, I did have to pull her out for a little bit, just because, again, we talked about policies and rules. You know what I mean? A lot of the time the staff would um, allow my daughter to do whatever she wanted to do. And I'm like, no, absolutely not. She can't go here. But once I was honest, we talked about honesty with my staff and what my expectation was, and I was able to communicate okay, well, this is the reason why I couldn't let her, you know, stay here because you didn't, you guys were letting her do whatever. But once I was honest and I communicated that I did bring her back. And as far as leaders and legends is concerned, I absolutely, it was mandatory that she participate because those skills, I can't see giving those skills or those, um, that, that type of time to other children and not having my own children, my own child be a part she has i mean she's amazing she's grown so much just from the village that's what i'm going to
0: call it the village that we've created i got another quote because i just think you're dope on the low on the side so <laughs> I was, as i was you know doing my research about you i was like man she got bars so i have to ask you it might be a philly thing but i have to ask you about this quote that i heard you yeah. say and it says quote child care is a passion-based industry unquote can you break Absolutely. that down for me
1: Absolutely. Um, like anything else, a lot of people go into this thinking it's a get rich quick. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to sit here and tell you you cannot make you can't. You're not going to make a lot of money in childcare. You are going to make a lot of money in child care. You absolutely are. However, it is passion that keeps the money coming in. Um, when you don't have passion, your staff don't have passion. The people that are following you don't have passion. The children, they have no ownership over their community. So in order for you to wake up every day and deal with 60 to 70 kids in one location a day, there has to be some type of yearning for to see these children achieve. If you don't have that, it's just a job. It's just you babysitting. It's just you watching somebody's kids it doesn't set you apart and I know for a fact that that is what has set me apart even in my own community. I have a passion for what I do. I love coming to work every single day. There's not a day that I'm like oh I don't feel like it. Even when I don't feel like it you know that the motivation is listen somebody needs me. Somebody's watching me. Somebody needs me there and that is what keeps me going.
0: How much did COVID affect? Yeah
1: um thank goodness you know I'm I'm Covid did me well. Um, it did. It did us well. Um, most facilities, it did not, and I'm going to tell you why. I live in Pennsylvania, and one of the things in Pennsylvania, thank goodness for um, their legislative laws for during Covid in childcare, they allowed us to continue to receive our revenue over the course of our our, our Covid um, our Covid years. Even if we were closed, uh, pretty much whatever you left the school with. So if you ended COVID, I remember school closed on March fifteenth. I think March fifteenth, two thousand twenty. Whatever your enrollment was right then, it stayed consistent during throughout the du- duration of COVID. Right, but what that did was it allowed me to revamp my entire system during that time. I didn't never had thought about creating bringing technology into daycare creating Zoom calls for my staff for um, leadership training. That was something that I did never would have thought about. So had COVID not come, I would not have had the time to revamp some systems um, that really, really did um, affect the overall growth of my organization coming back from COVID. We were ready, you know, we were ready. I don't know if every child care provider used that time to revamp systems and think about how um, they could make things better or make things more, um, I guess, Functional for their staff, for their parents. But I did. And that is what I did over my course of time,
0: my two years over COVID. What was some of the effects you saw I had on your students?
1: Um, as far as students are concerned, I think behavior and social, social, emotional um, development was definitely put on standstill. We had children come back in after covid and it was like wow we had never worked with them before all those routines that they had learned in childcare they were lost um and no no fault of anybody's no fault of anybody's i don't want parents to think oh is you, you, we got we messed it up for, for the school? No, but at the end of the day, children need routine, they need um consistency in order to learn. And some of that stuff went out the window, you know, when COVID came, they were home all day. We still were providing virtual learning, especially for our preschool, so they still had their that consistency. But um, as far as their overall day to day, what are we doing today? It was very difficult to bring them back in. We had a lot of children um, that were facing some special needs um, before they left out, and they were not able to receive their services during the duration of COVID. So we kind of backtrack on that end and had to come back in and do new referrals, get new resources for these children, and it took almost a year for the children that needed resources to get them in place. So that was a year. It was it was it was a lot for our staff, and I, you know I really praise them for hanging in there and for, again, being passionate about what they do because that's the only thing that could have kept them during that comeback.
0: Yeah, I mean, I can only imagine. Mm -hmm. I had already left before then, but I had worked in a period where a school had to get shut down and come back. And we instantly, what we start discovering was some of these kids' home life and the effect that it had because I don't think a lot of parents, minus you, know how much time their child is in school yeah I for mean, sure. hours they are away you know for sure um, and so yeah it definitely has an effect on that now you hear the term all the time you know it's business but it's not personal you combine both yeah is that possible
1: it is possible but with boundaries <laughs> it is possible but with boundaries um Combining business and personal. So in my in my everyday, yes, I have combined business and personal. My daughter goes here. My my family frequents my businesses. My close friends you utilize my business. But one thing I can say is I am very clear and honest with everybody up front that these are my expectations and this is what I need to follow. And then not only that, a lot of people are afraid to say no sometimes. I learned that um, early on in my career in the childcare thing, you have to be comfortable with the word no. You have to be comfortable to say, okay, I can do this, but I can't do that. Like This isn't going to work for me and for my business. And the more you do it, the more people know, okay, she, she's not playing games. She means it. She has some policies in place. She does things this way. It's, it's all about consistency. If you're consistent and you're open to being honest and giving real feedback, then yes, it can work.
0: So while, while we got you here, before we let you go, let's 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 get some game from you since you got so much, you know. Okay. We know you charge. So let's try to get what we can <laughs> right. in this time being. Now, as on the business side, being yeah. an entrepreneur in that, let's talk a little bit about the rejection space. Because mm-hmm. when you said you choose something that you're passionate by, you yes. feel that within yeah. your gut. For what sure. was what was an L that you had to take business wise? And what did you learn from that lesson?
1: Yeah. Um, so when I first started childcare, I got a lot of no's at first. Um, and believe it or not, the no's were coming from people that I knew, you know, people family members, like not not necessarily they didn't want their children to come to childcare. That's not it. You know what I mean? But oh, you know, we already have a childcare facility or we've been going to this place such and such this amount of time. We were kind of loyal to this, you know, and I got a lot of no's at first. Um, but I didn't allow those no's to define what I was going to do. I was able to use those no's and capitalize off of them. So I took those no's and I'm like, hey, can you tell me why? I got the reason why I wanted to know why, you know, I wanted to know the why behind their no. And when I learned the why behind their no, I was able to build a campaign and a network and a marketing strategy for myself um, that worked with the other people that I did not know. And so that is one thing for certain. It's everything that you do in this game, like you learn. You learn from your mistakes. Never repeat the same mistake twice. So again, that could have been like a setback for somebody in childcare. I have a childcare provider I'm working with now, and she's not getting any enrollment and she's getting frustrated and she's getting, um you know, like unmotivated, you know, she does kind of like, I don't think this is for me. No, it's definitely for you. We just have to figure out the science behind why people are not actually signing up for the product or the service that you're giving. How can you stand out from your competitors? All of that matters in business.
0: What is it that you can speak to? Because I know, for example, I'm a writer. So when I write an article, there are strangers who comment more on an article I might have written versus my friends, What is it about your friends? Is it because they're so used to you doing what you've been doing? They're yeah, close to it? What is it about your friends that I'm just gonna be honest, it seem to be like the last to kind of support?
1: Yeah. I think that a lot of the times friends, they say they support you. I think the thing is, it's not that they don't want to see you achieve. It's not that. I, I, I used to take it personal, like, "Dag, you said you was with me, but you're not really with me. It's not that. I just think it's that they don't understand the value of their support. They don't understand the value of what that does for you. So when you're honest with them, you say, well, tag, you know, a lot of times we'll walk away and say, they didn't even support me. But did you talk to them and ask them? Like I said, ask them why, you know, and a lot of times you'll get the answer and you'll realize that it's really not personal. It's not personal. Um, and we have to be stop being so closed minded and thinking that everybody is always against us. They're not really against us. They just, you know, they have their own reasons for why. And and it's OK. It's really OK to to be able to say, all right, well, when you have the opportunity, come by. And that a lot of the times when they see what you're doing and you're publicizing, social media is a great avenue for that. And they're publicizing what you're doing over and over again. And your market marketing strategies are clear. They'll come. They just might not come right away.
0: Okay. And I'm, and I'm glad you, you hit it on that because I was going to ask you, how does someone combat in this era, in the era of misinformation? How do you combat that when it comes to business? Because you're working with kids and mm-hmm. every time we see, there's a headline about what governors or politicians are doing, what books you can have, what books you cannot have, and things like that. But sometimes people run with these stories. They, they don't, people don't normally like to read past the headline, and they mm-hmm. run with these stories. And you might think it's a joke, but then it can affect you business-wise. How do you suggest someone counter that?
1: Um, again, relationships is key. You know what I mean? When you have that relationship, a lot of the times the parents are like, okay, well, Miss Tiff said, this is, this is going to happen. And I can trust that this is going to happen. And they believe you, you know what I mean? And that's just what it is. I think that a lot of the times it's relationship building. If you don't have those relationships with your clients or your customer, they're not going to be able to readily be like, okay, you know, I'm ready. I'm here. I'm listening to what she's saying. No, you have to have those relationships. Relationships is key.
0: Now, just quickly on the, on the, parent side, what's something that you suggest when it comes to parents as their child begins to develop when it comes to choosing for schools, especially schools like yours?
1: So one thing that you're looking at for schools, when you're looking at schools, you want to make sure the staffing is credentialed. You want to make sure your staff, they have the right educational background um, that matches what it is that you're looking to attain for your child. I know in Philadelphia, we have a star rating system where um, the more stars you have, the higher the credentials of the staff is. So um, your staff is either college educated, um, have bachelor's degrees at, at minimum, or you can have a lower star where you're literally just, you know, you're getting staff that is straight out of high school. They've worked they've worked in the work field before but might not have any interest or any past experience with early child care. So that's one thing you want to look for. You want to find out what the rating is uh, for the school. And if the school doesn't have any ratings, make sure you're looking at reviews. Make sure you're looking on Google for reviews, making sure that you're checking to see that what this school does and it's in alignment with your beliefs for your child.
0: Now, when it comes to the schools in general what are your schools are they private charter or public
1: they are actually It's funny because they are private um because we are able to accept who and what and how however we choose to enroll we're able to you know, use our own avenues for enrollment. However, they are publicly funded because our money is nine times out of 10 coming from subsidized childcare, which means that we're working with a lower demographic um, and lower socioeconomic status individual. And the state is giving them supplementary income um, to assist them with paying for childcare so that they can work.
0: So what is it that you think when it comes to parents, they just instantly feel their child's gonna go to private off top?
1: Do Should they feel that way? I don't think.
0: Are are you asking? No, I'm asking. Yeah, because I know a lot of parents. As soon as they have it, they private. They don't even think about any resources in there. And some of them live in really good neighborhoods. Like I, Mm -hmm. it just it just feels like if you already are paying this money to live in a really good neighborhood, why would you pay extra for a school?
1: I think that parents always feel like they can get more on the other side. I feel like the grad, it's just one of those grasses is greener on the other side, And in some cases it is, I'm not going to say that it's not. Um, but what I will say is that try your public schools out first, you know, try them out. See again, if they're, what the principal's um, mentality for leadership is. Because I think a lot of the times the issue is not a leadership. It's not necessarily what the school has to offer. It's how leadership works. Um, takes the issues, resolves the issues that they're faced with and where their beliefs and their sis- belief system lies.
0: Okay, That's good. My my last one is something that's very important. And I definitely want to say because you've seen off top when I was watching you in other interviews, your passion mm-hmm. just speaks out from the first one. So, again, I did. I tell you you know, thank you on that. But. What is something that us as a community can do to get behind people like you who are investing in our schools?
1: Got it. I think that um, volunteering is key. You know, a lot of times it's one of those things, again, that you got to see it to believe it. Um, we always talk about, oh, well, if I was in the school system, I would do this, I would do this, I would do that. But you really don't understand it until you're actually hands on and, in, and, in, and in, a learning environment, whether it be a childcare facility, whether it be a school, whether it be a church, whatever it is, you know, you have to be hands-on so that you can understand the barriers that are being faced, um, that administrators even face. uh, So they make the decisions that they make. Um, Another thing is definitely reaching out to your, um, your council, your city council, you know, figuring out where their volunteer opportunities are, making sure that you just show your face, show your face, be present. Don't talk about it, be about it, that's all.
0: And do, do you, would you, I mean, I like to make the suggestion, but I'm gonna ask you, do you feel mm-hmm. like a person has to be a parent to actually volunteer or they can start before then?
1: No, I don't think you need to be a parent. In my facility, you just have to be 18 years old to volunteer. Um, you don't necessarily have to be a parent, but it would be great If you were a parent, because kids, again, they need to feel ownership over wherever they are. And seeing your parent in the place where you go to school makes a difference. It really does. But no, they do not have to be a parent to volunteer. That's
0: good. So is there any way we can also support you, you know, from afar? Like, are you going on tour when it comes to the information and knowledge you have? Is anything going on with the school that we can, you know, be a part of?
1: Um, So what I'm doing now uh, on the small business aspect, if you're interested in small business development, they can just reach me on Instagram. Um, I'm doing some consultations, some business strategy calls as needed, um, just to figure out where your issues lie within your business, where your growth. If you're growing, how we can scale your business um, to reach to reach the point of profitability profitability that you would like to see. Um, as far as my performing arts academy, we always, always, always do two shows annually. So if you would like to stop by and see a show, you're more than welcome to. This year, we're going to be at the Arts Bank on Broad and South. We're doing the Lion King Jr., uh, which is really exciting. I can't wait um, for the community to come out and see what these students have been working on. And as far as the childcare If you would love to volunteer, just hit me up on Instagram. It's Tiffany underscore the small biz guru, um, where you can come and come inbox me and say, hey, I want to volunteer and I'll get right back with you.
0: Thank you very much. As usual, I like to let people know that when they come on the show for the first time, it's an open door. But when it comes to education, I'm letting you know right now we're going to definitely need you. So even. If you can't think of sometimes when they come back, if I see something in the news, I'm pretty sure me or Kenny will hit you and say, hey, listen, can you just come on here and speak about this for a second? Yeah,
1: for sure. Especially <laughs> if it has to do with early child early care or early child care, good education, whatever that avenue is, I would love to speak on it. Um, a lot of the times, you know, we get so focused on what we're doing and we don't understand the value of just putting out your own information, sharing the information with the community. So if you have an opportunity, let me know.
0: Yes, yes, because information is key. So thank you very much. I highly appreciate it. Um, You know, it's just been for me. I'm like, I like to see that people are still doing that fight. I know I left it for, you know, for some time, but I like to see that people are still doing that fight. And I like to see people like you who are at the head of it, too. So thank thank you. you. I just just want to tip my hat off to you. So thank you very much. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's real. It's real. I, I I appreciate it. So thank you very much. Um, This has been a great, dope episode. I know my blackness has been elevated. Tiffany, thank you for elevating my blackness. I don't even know if I elevated your blackness. I know I usually ask you for that, but you're already <laughs> like a mile ahead. So thank you very much. <laughs> this has been an episode of the History Being Black. You can always find our podcast episodes on Apple Music. You can find it everywhere where you find podcasts, also Spotify, and anything else I'm always forgetting. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at the History Being Black, Mean On Lion Network. You can hit me up on my social media at J Hall Society, as usual. Be blessed, successful, and we will talk to you soon. The History of Being Black is hosted by Jay Hall, executive producer Ken Johnson. Find the History of Being Black podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Odyssey, Amazon Music, or where you get your podcasts. Find the History of Being Black podcast on IG at The History of Being Black. Follow the Mean Line Media Podcast Network on IG at Mean O'Line Media. Get the Mean Line Media app in the App Store or on Google Play. The History of Being Black podcast is a Mean Line Media production.